0: Hi, it's Lynn Galadner and welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a writer and entrepreneur and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've learned that we succeed through inspiration from storytelling and deep and mutually beneficial relationships. This show began in 2018 after my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness and I wanted a way to capture his stories and record his insights. It's grown since then to share stories of how people around the world make meaning from very ordinary pursuits. Now, I focus on sharing the stories of writers, authors, and those in the world of publishing to learn how and why we create stories that help us make meaning from the mundane. I'm a former journalist and marketing entrepreneur, and I've been teaching writing for more than two decades. As a writing coach, I help authors build their brands and share their words. If you'd like to write with me, check out my offerings at lynngalodner.com, and you'll find more episodes of this podcast at makemeaning.org, as well as on every podcast platform you can think of. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Make Meaning Podcast. Now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. It's Lynn. I'm excited to announce that my novel, Woman of Valor, is making its debut September 26, 2023. It would make me so happy if you might pre-order your own copy or email me at lynn at yourppl.com if you'd like to be added to our street team or attend the virtual launch party. This is a novel with a strong female lead. There's lots of romance, deep love, but also betrayal and abuse and ultimately resolution. And if you're curious about the Orthodox Jewish world, you'll learn a lot from this story. I can't wait to tell you more about it. Stay tuned for our September 8th episode, which will tell you all about Woman of Valor, and I hope to include you in all of our book celebrations. Welcome back to the Make Meaning Podcast. Most of the time, I have the supreme joy to interview authors and people in publishing here and learn about their writing and publishing journeys. This week, however, I bring you an unusual and unique episode to announce the launch of my new publishing house, Scotia Road Books. As the owner and chief creative officer of Your People LLC, the host of this podcast, and a full-time author and writing coach, starting another business wasn't part of my plan. However, like all my entrepreneurial endeavors, this one was born out of a need I saw in the marketplace and a desire to fill it. Although I've had eight books published by small presses over the past several decades, as I began writing fiction and knew I wanted to publish at the rate of a book a year, I considered whether to go the querying and traditional publishing route Or carve out my own path. I'll be honest, my ego wanted me to follow the traditional path, land an agent and a plum publishing deal just to prove that I could. But my gut and my soul felt differently. I knew that no one would love my books more than I would. And since I bring nearly two decades of marketing expertise to the publishing process, I knew that I would bring passion to this project of sharing my words with the world. I also didn't want to jump through hoops or compromise my writing style or subject matter in order to make other people money. Scotia Road Books is a new hybrid publishing imprint for women over 40 writing stories in strong voices that need to be heard. We publish contemporary, historical, and literary fiction, narrative memoir, and essay collections. I'm proud to announce we are now open for submissions at scotiaroadbooks.com. To celebrate the launch of this publishing imprint, I am joined today on the podcast by two wonderful guests who have their own unique publishing paths. Please welcome author and my dear friend, Elizabeth Gowing, who runs Elbow Publishing with her partner, Robert Wilton, and another dear friend of mine and author, Merle Saferstein, who has a new book coming out this week. I'm really excited to be on both sides of this podcast today with these two wonderful guests. I want to begin by asking each of you to briefly introduce yourselves and your unique publishing path. Obviously, all 3 of us are women who don't take traditional paths to writing and publishing. So, Merle, would you begin by just telling our audience a little bit about your publishing experiences? Absolutely. I the first thing
1: I published
0: was a book in
1: 2012, and I had wanted to write this book for 25 years. And when I finally wrote it, I knew that I did not want to wait any longer to get it out into the public. I was at the time sixty seven, and I mm-hmm. felt as though it was time. I didn't have, I didn't know how long I was going to have, and I wanted to make sure that I that, that it went out into the to the world. And mm-hmm. so I decided to self publish. Mm-hmm. In two thousand and twelve, self publishing was just starting to become acceptable. Mm-hmm. I was not concerned about not having a traditional publisher. I Mm -hmm. just felt as though it was most important to me to just have it done. And I went the route of Amazon. At the time, it was called Create Space. Mm -hmm. I I, I did my own cover. I had someone help me with my cover Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and editing. So actually, all we did was really just have them do the publishing itself you know do the formatting and and it was a great experience it was really very positive my second book i was fortunate enough to have someone approach me and tell mm-hmm. me she wanted to publish it and mm-hmm. so that book was done by a hybrid publisher
0: nice and
1: your third book coming out soon third book is also going to be done also by um by the same publisher, Great Mother Press. Okay, awesome. Thank you. So
2: Elizabeth, how about you? Yeah, I've I've published uh, six books now and have taken slightly different routes, uh, or at least three different routes. Well, Mm -hmm. maybe four if we we can't print on demand. So I feel like I've um, tried different ways. I think I've learned a bit about the advantages and disadvantages of each of them. My first uh, four books were all uh, travel books, particularly about the Balkans, Mm -hmm. which is where I spend most of my time and where for the last 17 years, I've had a home in Kosovo. Mm -hmm. And so it made sense with those for me to, I felt like I knew the uh, intended readership very well. And I felt like I could probably reach them Uh, myself. The first book, which was called Travels in Blood and Honey, um, Becoming a Beekeeper in Kosovo, that was published through a small press in Oxford in the UK, uh, Signal Books. And so, of course, it was completely new to me at that stage, the whole process of publishing a book. And I learned a lot from watching how that was done and learning what I enjoyed about the process, the bits that I felt like I had ideas for and the places where I had to compromise by working with other people. Mm -hmm. So when I had my second book, which is uh, retracing the journey made by a woman over a hundred years ago, a British woman who traveled around the Balkans. So that's called Edith and I uh, on the trail of an Edwardian traveler in Kosovo. Mm -hmm. I decided I have a go at um, creating our own publishing house, and publishing the books through through that. So together with my partner Robert Wilton who's also a writer we've now published uh, quite a few books through elbow publishing which is our publishing house. Uh, we called it elbow to kind of I quite like the idea of the sharp elbows and the idea of having to sort of find your way onto the into the world. Um elbows are also also supposed to be the most beautiful words to say in the English mm-hmm. language in terms of what you do with your mouth when you're when you're doing it. Really? That's so <laughs> uh, interesting. I guess every listener is now mouthing to themselves <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, we created elbow and um published. Edith and I, and then also published my second book, sorry, my third book, but my second with Elbow, which was uh, about the creation of our non-profit, the woman who I met in Kosovo, who um, with whom I uh, was able to Start this project, uh, which is called "The Rubbish Picker's Wife: An Unlikely Friendship in Kosovo," and then also my fourth book, which is the um, uh, the Silver Thread, which is about the story of filigree in Kosovo. Um, and at the same time, we've published uh, some others by Tim Albert, a book of essays by um, which includes one by my partner, but also from other people and some of my partner's fiction books. But then for my uh, fifth book, which was a book about yoga, a journey of through the UK, visiting different communities and using yoga classes as a way of, uh, as a sort of window on different communities and the way that yoga has helped people and to make meaning, I suppose, I realized that unlike all of my Balkan travel books, I really didn't have access to the gatekeepers for that readership. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been a yoga practitioner for, for 16 years now, but not a teacher, not involved in the in the sort of market of yoga interested mm-hmm. readers. Yeah. And so that was when I, I thought that perhaps I wasn't going to be able to reach as many readers as I wanted through our publishing. And so I found an agent, uh, Jen Barkley, and she found me a publisher, Bratz Publishers. And so they published the, the yoga book. But then my most recent book, my final book was published uh, just in October together with my partner. And it's um about, uh, it's a book of a collection of eight stories of inspirational women from Balkan history from around the, the region. It's called No Man's Lands, um, Eight Extraordinary Women in Balkan History. And for that, we again decided to publish through Elbow through, because mm-hmm but with the same logic. But unlike some of my other books, we did that as print on demand through Elbow. So that was another way of kind of managing the costs and the hassle of publishing so that we don't have like warehousing issues. We don't have all those books stacking up in our spare room. And we've got a way of uh, people ordering them direct. So I suppose we've experimented in all those different ways. And depending on the the titles
0: and the focus of the books, we found what seemed to be the, the best way for each one. Gotcha. So um, of course I've like planned all these questions and I think we've just covered all of them but we'll improvise as we go through but but when you say print on demand, are you talking about through Amazon KDP or and, and was it different when you had other books through elbow in you know previously?
2: Yeah, so with Elbow, the first few books, we used a a local, as it happens, our home in the UK is in Cornwall. And there's a very big print company there that is used by all kinds of large publishing houses and does international publishing and so, uh, or printing for international publishers. So we were able to, like, just pop down the road and get them to do the printing But, you know, then you have a thousand copies of a book and actually that's a significant challenge to then get that out. And so you end up paying someone to do the distribution. You have to warehouse them either yourself or you pay someone to warehouse them. And so Mm -hmm. all of those those costs, those books were available through Amazon. They've also, (laughs) all of the books have been available also on Kindle. And Mm -hmm. I've also recorded two of them for, and they're available through Audible as Mm -hmm. um, audio books. One of them I did myself and the Mm -hmm. other I was approached by an audio publisher um to they wanted to publish it and mm-hmm. then after some test tapes with me they actually commissioned me to be the reader of the book as well wow. as, which I think kind of works given that I've done quite a lot of radio work and also it's written in the first person and so I think there's a you know there's a power to having that voice being the voice of the the first person narrator. Yeah. So yeah, we've we've tried combinations of doing print on demand through elbow, but also doing printing through elbow. And I I think I would personally the print on demand is just resolved a lot of the hassle of having to track. I mean, we used to have really complicated spreadsheets of exactly how many copies of books were in which friend's spare room and how many were at the warehouse and how many were on my in my rucksack on my back as I traveled around the country doing lectures about my books. It's That's not the fun bit of writing, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, go ahead, Merle. Did you want to say something? Yeah, I wanted to ask Elizabeth. So when you print
1: on demand, is that difficult to do because it's, it's like on the spur of the moment almost? Does so the it- way
2: that the way that it works is you upload the files in the same way that you would for a Kindle book. And then when somebody wants a copy of the book, they request it through Amazon and Amazon or through KDP Publishing. And then that book is generated there and then for that person. So it doesn't exist until oh, the person yeah. orders it and likewise you as the publisher can order i mean which we've done you know we ordered 50 copies for our book launch so Mm -hmm. but we those books didn't exist until we ordered them of course you have to pay a slightly higher price for printing because they're only printing one at a time or 50 at a time as opposed to a print run of a thousand but that's compensated for by not having to then pay or manage the storage of them so that's the that's the kind of algorithm you're having to the sum you're having to do in your head yeah
1: yeah. I wasn't sure if Elbow Publishing itself had to publish print on demand. I, I was Okay. So no, that, no.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. So I want to pivot. I want to turn to you, Merle. And um, you're the first person to return three times to the Make Meeting podcast, which is really cool. Um, And Elizabeth is back for her second interview, which is awesome. So I'm really excited for your forthcoming new book, Merle. And I wonder if you could share with our listeners a little bit about your writing journey and this new book in particular. I would love to. I began writing
1: as a young child when I was nine years old. I told myself that I used to write letters to family all over the country. And I told myself that I needed to lead an interesting life so that I would have something to write about. I actually remember that. And as it turns out, I've been really fortunate to to lead a life that I have some definitely have something to write about. <laughs> so in 1974, I started journaling. I had journaled as a teenager, and then then not again for a long time. But in 74, I started, and had, had accumulated a considerable amount of journals to the point that I wasn't sure what I was going to do with them. But in 2000, I started really questioning whether these journals were something I could leave my children and realized that I really couldn't. Mm. So I embarked on a project, which was to read my journals and take excerpts according to a variety of topics. At the time, I had about 340 journals. By the time I finished the project, I had 359 journals. So Mm. it took me um, 14 years to read my journals and go through them. I finished in 2016 to go through them and decide which topics and which excerpts I wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. And then it took me five years to whittle them down because some of the topics were 75 pages and some were 450 pages. And that was, it was, it was a huge project and really yeah. in some ways kind of crazy. I don't know if <laughs> people could have had the patience to do it. The first book was called Living and Leaving My Legacy, Volume 1. I basically, in 2013, began teaching legacy classes. So I, I have become a legacy educator. And I understand that how we live our life becomes our legacy. Mm-hmm. This book and Volume 2, so it's a collection of two that's coming out in June.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My, my main purpose for writing them is twofold, besides just sharing with my family and mm-hmm. leave my written legacy. One is to help people understand the power of journaling because I understand that journaling make, can make a huge difference in one's life in so many different ways. And so first book and understand how helpful it is, how beneficial for, in so many ways. And actually, that's really been the, the response I've had. Many, many people who have read it have told me that they've begun to journal. So I'm thrilled about that. Yeah. The, second, the second really is not necessarily to read about my life but to read about my life is a mirror into their own.
0: Hmm.
1: My goal is to have people read my journals or my excerpts and to look at their own life and see what resonates for them and to help them to begin to think about, are they living the best life they possibly can? Hmm. In each book, in each chapter, I have a reflection. So I go back and reflect because because I stopped in 2016, I'm still journaling, but I stopped doing this project. Mm -hmm. Things have happened between 2016 and now and and all of these subjects. So I do reflect on that and add some of the new things. Mm -hmm. And then I end it with journal prompts so that the reader can do his or her own thinking about Mm -hmm. what, you know, what they've learned or what they're thinking as a result of, of the books.
0: That's amazing. That's wonderful. And I know that your goal isn't necessarily to make lots of money with this book, but to reach people. And I know you love teaching. And so a lot of your marketing of these books has been to teach workshops, right? Yeah.
1: Right. My my goal is really, this This book, both these books really have been the the jumping off point for my teaching and speaking. Mm-hmm. As actually was Room 732 that I wrote in 2012, mm-hmm. I knew that Right. I am a writer, Mm -hmm. but before a writer, I'm a teacher. Yeah, definitely. In fact, I'm actually thinking about doing a year long course with both these books Mm -hmm. starting in September Mm -hmm. based on different subjects and having conversations. So I actually, I have not even checked after the second week Mm -hmm. of putting out the first volume. Mm -hmm. I have not looked to see how many books I've sold. I just Mm -hmm. decided that it was just taking
0: over Mm -hmm. and that was not my goal. Yeah, so I stopped looking. Yeah, and I'm much happier.
1: I'm much happier.
0: Thank you. That's awesome, um, Elizabeth. I want to turn to you, and you and I have had some conversations as I or decided to launch Scotia Road Books, and so I wanted to ask you a little bit about your perspective on the different paths of publishing. You know, on there's so many options now, and I don't know if either of you feel this way. I know that when I was um, in school for for journalism and then for creative writing you know, there was sort of like a stigma attached to self-publishing or, you know, and and it, I mean, elbow publishing isn't self-publishing, but it is. Scotia Road Books, you know, it's, it's a hybrid press, but if I publish my books, it's kind of self-publishing. And so, but I know that today and for a while now, it hasn't been a stigmatized uh, path toward publishing, but there still is this sort of hierarchy of like, oh, you have an agent. Oh, you went the traditional route. And so I just would love to hear your thoughts, Elizabeth, about how the publishing industry has evolved and what 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 do you think about it now in terms of the different options that are available to writers?
2: Yeah, I think that the key is something that Mal referred to about what your goal is and whether you're looking to reach the maximum number of people or whether your your goal is to have a product that is there and accessible to future generations, or whether you're goal is to make money and those three things and probably other factors would tug you in in different directions and certainly i mean i've proved that to myself with the different routes i've taken with my different books that you can sell a lot more books if you go with an existing publisher, like I did with Signal Books with my first book. But of course, you get a lot less money as the author of those books. So roughly the standard contract is that you would get 10% of the sale price of the book. Mm -hmm. So in the UK, my book sells for £12. So that means I get £1.20 for every book that sells at the Cover price, Mm -hmm. of course. When it sells to a bookshop, they normally take a thirty-five percent discount, Mm -hmm. and so we're already talking about something that's actually selling at more like eight pounds. So then I'm getting eighty pence, (laughs) eighty cents per book. If it sells on Amazon, then it's selling. You know, it's always sold at a discount, so they're normally selling at maybe six pounds a book. I'm getting (laughs) eighty pence. (laughs) So yes, you get you can sell them, you can reach more people, but you're getting less money. When I uh, sold books through Elbow which doesn't have that that reach. Particularly in the UK, I don't know what the situation is in the US, but it's extremely difficult to get your books into the main, uh, just main bookshop, the Waterstones bookshop, if you're not through a traditional publishing route. So you sell fewer books, but for every book that I publish um, through Elbow, let's say they sell at ten pounds, which is my standard, the standard price. Looking at all of the costs completely, so the cost of that I paid the original designers, the cost I paid the original copy editor, the cost I paid the original typesetter, the cost of distribution and warehousing and you know absolutely mm-hmm. everything that goes into publishing a book, all the free copies I gave for reviews and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um it works out at about four pounds a book that it actually costs to publish the book. And so if I sell it at 10 pounds, then I'm getting six pounds per book. Yes, I'm going to make less money. Yes, I'm going to sell fewer books, but as long as I sell a sixth of the number of books, <laughs> then I can still <laughs> make the same amount of money, if you understand my, my math. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I think, one of the, the things I've learned. But the other thing that I think has been most significant for me has been looking at the marketing of the books and how much people are expected to do marketing for their books, even with very big commercial publishers. I think the days of uh, dedicated publicists who can put weeks into uh, pub. Publicizing a particular book, who can put huge marketing budgets behind a particular book, are really gone. Most publishing houses, even the biggest, will choose you know a very few titles each year, and they will be you know the Harry Potter and the the guaranteed bestseller. And then those, yes, they will put you know they'll do the um, the deals and they'll have arrangements with bookshops about the placement, and they'll have they'll do the merchandising, and you know there'll be a whole package around in the TV interviews and whatever. But, for the vast, vast majority, ninety something percent of books, there you get one person one company told me you'll get one day of a publicist time for yeah. your book if you publish to through us, you know that that's our our standard offer. And of course, that one day, however great the publicist is, is of somebody who doesn't necessarily know your book, doesn't really believe in your book, doesn't, I mean, one day scarcely gives you time to read the book and contact the media about it. And so since that's something that I enjoy doing, since the Mm -hmm. topics of my books, and it sounds like Merle is the same, you know, things that we believe passionately about, and we Mm -hmm. want to get that message out there, Mm -hmm. it was a pleasure for me to be doing that part of the work. And it was probably much more of a pleasure for me than it was for a paid publicist in in a a big publishing house. Also, I discovered that even... If you do go with those big publishing houses, they're still expecting you to be using your contacts, uh, putting your, giving your time for networking and interviews, writing extra material, bonus blogs that people can get if they're going to buy a copy of your book. Doing, I was doing all kinds of middle of the night interviews with uh, the US, and so like <laughs> there was actually a huge call. And in the meantime, I was still only getting that sixty pence per book sold right. through right. them and i was having to compromise in various ways with you know what i was wanting to do so that's what i learned i suppose from the first book, the experience of publishing the first book was that yes i could I could do those things and I could love doing them and I could see the return more immediately for myself. So I have started doing a lot more talks about my books for, well, since really since the beginning, looking at groups who would be interested, uh, looking at women's groups, looking at uh, arts groups, particularly for the one about the silver filigree and the silver necklace in Kosovo, travel groups, English speaking union groups. And there are lots of those kinds of groups in the UK. I don't know how it compares in the US, but there are groups who are always looking for speakers and who will pay their speakers. Yeah. And some places will pay their speakers really quite well and will also offer an opportunity for you to sell your books at the end of your of your yeah. talk. Yeah. And so I've shifted far more books that way than I have just by having them on the shelves in bookshops. I've shifted more books that way even than I have when I've gone and done signings in bookshops or events at literary festivals. Because when people have sat and listened to you talk for an hour and seen your slides and engaged with you as a person, and if you've got a first person narrative, which as Mel does too, then you are part of what people are interested in, in in buying the book. And so then at the end, people come up and they want to sign copy. And so, you know, that's how I shift it. Of course, that's all a call on my time, but it is—it's something I love doing. It's something I think I can do well, and so those things I think have that in a way. I think like musicians who get—I think nowadays musicians reckon on getting more money from doing gigs than they do from selling albums, and, and it's effectively the same thing. I'm I'm doing gigs instead of focusing on selling books, but the yeah. books have become a, a sort of side side profit activity
0: yeah yeah and i've read a lot of statistics in the past year about how from like agents in the us and in canada that even if you get a deal with a big publishing house it's no longer a guarantee that they're going to go for your next book and the next book that most likely you're going to maybe have two and then you're going to have to shop around again and so it's like it's just not the way it used to be and and self-publishing or hybrid publishing or all the different options that are available are really professional, really beautiful, accessible. There's just so much that you can do on your own, hence my, you know, launch of Scotia Road Books. So yeah, maybe we pivot and we talk about that.
2: Yeah, well, I would love to hear how you're feeling about it now, having been in those discussions with you while you've been uh, working through that process and what you're thinking of about you can, that you can learn from your experience of having been published that you're wanting to share through Scotia Road books.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's funny when I had my other books published it was like a dream come true and it was you know quote unquote labor of love i never looked at it as a business endeavor i was much younger and i just thought you know oh i'm writing this book on the side cool i had a book come out somebody believed in it enough to choose it i never really put any effort toward marketing or any of that i just sort of said a book came out and and continued along my way and in my my business and my day-to-day work that's definitely different now especially with my marketing expertise and I don't know that I loved those books as much as I love the books that I'm writing now and so I'm so excited to just get these out there and get them in people's hands and and share those stories and I just I think that after chatting with you Elizabeth and thinking about you know what is the purpose of launching this press you know it's to give another option without so many gatekeepers to, you know, strong women who have voices that need to be heard. And so I do, you know, I've, I've I've really been amazed to learn how many people have their first book published in midlife, like after 40, after 50, sometimes, you know, even later. And it's very, very common. There's like a lot of statistics in this direction. And so that's heartening to me. It's a population that I think is often overlooked. And it's a time where you have a stronger sense of self and a stronger voice. So in a lot of cases, the writing is more polished and refined. And I just, I want to give chances to people who might not get them in other in other ways. I know that by being a hybrid press, I still have, you know, a gatekeeper because we're going to be vetting submissions, but it's not nearly as many layers as might exist in traditional publishing. And I'm, I just want to make it easier and And give an option for people who, who might not have a fit elsewhere. I think this is sort of the, the press for rebel authors who, who really have, you know, different ways of writing, I guess a really original ideas, something that might, you know, we want to take a chance on. And not everybody is taking chances because in publishing, especially traditional publishing, it's all about making money. It's all about the bottom line. And as a hybrid press, it doesn't need to be, you know, they, the writers, you know, pay up front with hybrid publishing for the cost of publishing, they get a much higher rate of royalties. And I just feel like it's kind of a win-win all around.
1: Lynn, Lynn, what will your process of selection be for the people who want to get books published by Scotia Road Press?
0: Yeah. So, and we're open for submissions and we, you know, it's pretty easy to do on the website, which is scotiaroadbooks.com. We take Contemporary, historical, and literary fiction, as well as memoir and collections of essays. But, you know, I think it's kind of that thing where like, if it's a great story and it's beautiful writing, we're probably gonna wanna take a chance on it. And I don't know that I can be more specific than that, but I'll tell you, I, you know, I, I have stacks of books everywhere in my house. I'm always I it's like an addiction. I'm like always buying books, and especially when I have friends who have books out. And I picked up a book recently, I'm not gonna say which book, because I I couldn't get past the third page. And it was not a bad book. It was wonderfully written. It was it was exactly the kind of contemporary fiction that I could see some major publishers going for, which is why it's doing so well and it's out there. But it's not my taste. And so I think I'm looking for the really beautiful writing and the really thoughtful subject matter, but doing it sort of in out-of-the-box ways. I don't know if that helps, but that's sort of what I'm thinking now. And I'm sure it'll take shape more as we see more and more submissions. So what is your long-term vision? For Scotia Road Press you know my my thought is that we'll put out maybe three books a year and see where it goes I would like the books that we published I'd like them to win awards I'd like them to be well read I I really am looking for authors who are open to doing their marketing and it's something that I'm prepared to coach them in. That is something that we offer to our authors as like an additional package. It's not part of the publishing deal, but um, marketing coaching or helping them build their marketing strategy, coaching them through implementation. Because I bring that expertise after 16 years in marketing. I think that, you know, my my goal is to put books in the world that are going to have, you know, some some distance. They're going to take the journey. They're not just going to be in the world and, and sort of taking up space and nobody sees them. So I think that this is really a mission to promote the writing as much as to put beautiful writing out.
1: And how lucky they will be to have someone who knows marketing <laughs> as well. Just like Elizabeth said, I mean, the truth is so many publishers just don't even, once a book is published, that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Really so fortunate. So what advice, Lynn, do you have for authors who might be looking for the right publishing path?
0: I think that we have to stay away from judgment and just if you want to publish your book you have to be open to the feedback and you have to be open to the options. And so, you know, that's one thing that that I had to embrace. You know, I did send out some queries with uh, my novel Woman of Valor that's coming out in September and I had a lot of positive feedback, but part of me really wanted to go this route. I knew that Scotia Road Books was on the horizon and I just needed the courage to launch it. And I think that you have to embrace that there's a lot of different ways to publish great books. And it's about connecting with you know, the people who are your true audience, which you kind of have to have a sense of. So before you even put a book out, you have to know who is going to be interested in reading this and who do you want to connect with. About your story. I think also another piece of advice would be that, you know, there's there's the goal of writing a book in your life. Like, oh, I always wanted to write a book. But then there's the goal of being a career author. And any one book isn't going to make or break your career. It's not going to make you rich. It's not, you know, like one book is one book. And so I'm interested in working with potential career authors who want to have a body of work. So over time, write book after book, because once you have, and I don't know if you found this, Elizabeth, I want to hear from you, but once you have, you know, several books out and you continue to keep writing, you really, that's where people find you. That's where like your backlist sells You're, you know, you're building a reputation and a voice. And so it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Elizabeth, have you found that, that as you write more books and publish more books, People are discovering your earlier books.
2: Yeah, and I find that particularly when I do these lectures. That I'll do a lecture about the the wonderful women, the photographer princess of Montenegro, or the uh, writer of the first woman librarian in Serbia, or whatever, who are in our most recent book. And then people are interested in talking to me about, for example, Edith Durham, the woman who came to Kosovo 120 years ago, or they want to hear about the uh, silver filigree, or you know, that the then the the theme. interests people. And the story that I've told of how I got to that point engages people in, as you say, reading the backlist. So I sell not quite as many, but certainly significant numbers of my earlier books at each of the talks that I give about my later books. So yes, I think it's absolutely that halo effect of every book that you do sell.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Any other questions you guys want to ask?
2: I wanted to ask Merle a question, but uh, it's not about publishing, but I'm intrigued about being a legacy coach. Does that mean being a coach of people to think about their legacy in their life in a more generally, or specifically to think about how to write their life as a legacy?
1: Originally, when I started, I thought that it was both. I thought it was living. So I I'd entitled my course, Living and Leaving Your Legacy, thinking that it was equal. And my first classes were eight weeks long. And so I would do four weeks of living your legacy, talking about how you're living your life, understanding that people are going to remember you because of the way you live and the things you've done. And then four weeks on doing some kind of legacy project. And as I went further into teaching, I realized that for me, it is much more about living than it is about leaving. Because the truth is, we are going to be remembered for. What we've done in this world, for who we are, on a personal basis, on a, in a community basis, professionally, and that makes a big difference. And so, I no longer focus so much about the the projects, leaving the projects as I do helping people understand that how they live their life becomes their legacy.
0: I think that's really a great a great place to sort of wrap up our conversation because, you know, I mean, at first when I thought about launching a press, I thought. Maybe it would give me more credibility to have an imprint on my book instead of just you know self published by Lynn Galadner, but I but I started to really get swept up in this notion of helping other women get to this point and get their words out there and their voices and 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 being a partner in that and it became sort of like a mission, you know. So I mean the idea of. Um, shepherding authors and, co- you know, coaching them, nurturing them to the point that they can put something wonderful out there for others to consume and be be nourished by is really exciting, you know? So it's it's become it's become bigger than me. Like, I'm excited to publish my books. I'm hoping to do a book a year, but it, I'm really excited to work with authors. I think that we need more options, and I want to hear more yeses than noes, and that's what I'm hoping we can do. So I have a question, Lynn. How... Yeah. How will you manage
1: your time in terms of <laughs> writing your own and working with, with others? Because your goals are wonderful. And I think it's really admirable. How many authors do you think you can take on at a time and be able to still write your own books and do your own work?
0: See, you know me so well. So because I'm good friends with both of you, you guys know like both the shiny side and the dark side of my life. And Merle gets an email every few months saying, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, I've overscheduled. Oh, you know, so yes, you you know this very well. And I appreciate that. I do. I really do. So I have hired someone who's going to be working with me in Scotia Road Books. And as it grows, and as we have budget for it, we'll have a team. And so the idea is not for me to do everything. It's for me to launch it and oversee it and and sort of build the structure so that we can put out books, our editors, our proofreaders, our book cover designers, that's none of that is me. So there are other people on the team who will be doing the different tasks and and putting it out there. And I think that's really important, but it is a new business and it is, you know, I have other things that are going, this podcast, I have a whole writing, coaching and editing business and teach a lot of classes. And so I can imagine that as this takes, takes off and gathers steam, I might teach fewer classes or, you know, maybe I will have a a VP of Scotia road books who does, you know, the heavy lifting and I just sort of manage. So I don't know. I think I'm open to the possibilities, but I'm very aware and I will have your voice in my head of not getting too busy and taking on too much. It's exciting then. And I wish you the best really. Thank you so much. I I can't wait to have the first, the first book in my hands. Absolutely. Well, September 26th, that's the launch date for Women of Valor. So I really appreciate having you both here and uh, and your guidance. You guys have been really essential in helping me make this decision and move forward. So thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning Podcast. And thank you for having us.
2: Yeah, thank you, Lynn.
0: Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galodner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngaladner.com.